What is up, Football Life? We're back in another week. This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond. Uh, back with you another week with my buddy, Matt Bushnell, all the way out in Arizona. Matt, how you doing on this Tuesday afternoon for you out there? Randy, I'm doing swell, man. Got a lot of energy today. Hearing a lot of stuff about training camps. The pads are on. And if you're not ready for football right now and you are a football fan, I do not know what to tell you. Get into it. It's time to go. Well, I know what to tell them. Stick around. We're going to try to get you excited for football because I don't know about you. Hard Knocks made me excited for football, and that's what this show is going to be themed. We're going to break down uh, everything that we saw the first week of Hard Knocks, um, which was last Tuesday, a second episode coming up after our show tonight on HBO. Um, but we're going to talk about some news first before we get to Hard Knocks because the NFL, you know, training camps are in full swing. A lot of news is going on. Uh, we're going to start with probably the best tight end of football. I had him fourth overall on my player rankings last week. George Kittle signing a contract with the 49ers. He is the, now the highest paid tight end ever. Um, let me get the contract numbers here. It is a five-year, $75 million deal, Matt. Uh, not all that surprising, right? No, it was a good deal for the 49ers. I thought it was a bit of a discount myself. Anytime you get the best tight end in football with the combination of blocking, receiving, and you're still able to do your play action, and so much of the offense goes through Kittle, and you're paying them the equivalent of about $15 million a year. I know the majority of the money is guaranteed, but it's a good deal for Kittle, good deal for the 49ers. And this is like one of the first huge dominoes for them to really know how they have to build this team going forward. Yeah, I, I think you you hit it right on the head. I think his importance to the team is so large. I mean, you just look at his numbers, and he had 85 catches for you know 10 or a thousand yards and five touchdowns, which on the surface doesn't feel like that great. But when you look at his blocking and how much teams focus on him and double him, uh, how much he opens up for the rest of the offense, he matters so much just to the running game alone. Uh, those things don't show up on the stat sheet. So uh, I want to get your general feeling on, you know, Kittle. We obviously know Kittle's a great player, but kind of expand a little bit on the impact he has on the game for the 49ers. Really, it lets them hide the scheme offensively. Anytime that you have to respect the run and the pass at the same time, it's difficult to put eight in the box. Kittle is pretty much unguardable by a linebacker and then a safety. So you're really trying to use a lot of zone concepts to cover him, but which also zone makes you weak in the run game because your linebacker's first steps are dropping back, not stepping forward, usually when you're playing zone. Also, it just strengthens that offensive line because he's such a strong individual at the point of attack. He's almost like a smaller offensive lineman in a lot of ways with really good hands. So you can put him in line. It doesn't give away what you're doing. It lets them go in motion. It lets them trap. It lets them do a lot of these things that a good, solid running football team, you can ask the Packers in the NFC Championship game what it can do. They dominate at the point of attack, and it all stems from Kittle because you still have to respect the passing game when he's in there, unlike what we saw with the Greg Olson type in the past mm -hmm. where when you saw Greg Olson or even Jimmy Graham, as soon as they come in the game, boom, you have an idea to pass. Sometimes they'll run to keep it honest, but right now most teams are 60% pass. I think the 49ers are probably more towards 50-50, if not you know, a little more towards the run, especially with – Jimmy Garoppolo and I, I like Jimmy I think he's got some things he has to work on in his game but Kittle hides so many inefficiencies with the wide receivers he's that important 
Yeah, and I think, with, like you said, with the receivers, is that he is the number one receiver on the team. He just plays tight end. And that, to me, is he is the most Gronk-type guy we have now. Obviously, Gronk is back in the league, but he resembles prime Gronk to me more than any other tight end, where Gronk's, Gronk couldn't wouldn't go a whole game without a catch, which hardly ever happened, but he could go the whole game without a catch and still help dominate the entire game. And those guys are so unique and so hard to find um, because of how much you have to watch him because it's not just he's a blocker. He's also an incredible playmaker. You have 85 receptions. You are a chain mover on third down. You know where Jimmy G is trying to go. He's the guy who's going to move the chains on third down. Uh, Obviously worth it. The value to his team alone, like you said, he's probably underpaid with this deal, Um, but his deal making him the uh, largest paid tight end in NFL history led to another tight end in the NFL getting paid. Uh, which is the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, paying yet another player somehow. Uh, they re- they extend Travis Kelsey, and I want to get his details here. Uh, but his is a little bit less than Kittle. He signed for four years, $57 million. Um, and Kelsey's impact – I mean, Kelsey is Mahomes' guy. Uh, I mean, they're stacked all over the place. But when Mahomes needs a guy across the middle, someone he relies on, obviously he has uh, Tyreek Hill who makes plays, but Kelsey is the reliable guy. I just wanted to point out some numbers from last year. He had 97 catches for over 1,200 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, he's averaging almost 13 yards per reception as a tight end. He's ridiculous, and he still is an effective blocker, not to the extent of Kittle, but he still is a good blocker. Um, But, you know, this guy has had since 2014 over 60 receptions each year and since 2016 over 80 receptions each year. And this guy has some of the best hands as a tight end we've ever seen. Um, And I think that's why Mahomes trusts him so much. Absolutely. When you have that guy as a security blanket, and really, this cannot be understated. It's a lot like Kittle, where if you put a linebacker on him, his speed is so much greater than a linebacker that it really puts him in trouble. And then with safety, you got to bring the safety over the top. So a lot of it's still, you're as a defense, you have to run zone concepts. And this is what makes having a receiving tight end that can also block, but I mean, just even having a receiving tight end makes an offense that much more potent because it's an automatic mismatch right away because linebackers that are bulkier don't have the speed of some of these tight ends like a Gronk and Gronk had speed. I don't think a lot of people realize how fast Gronk was, Mm -hmm. but like with Kittle, Kittle's not slow. He doesn't lumber. He's actually pretty quick. And then you take Mm -hmm. a look at a guy like Kelsey who's got speed with that opens up for the Chiefs offense if they do decide we have to put a safety over the top to prevent Hill from burning us deep they got Kelsey open all day long and then you got Sammy Watkins this just goes to the amount of weapons the Chiefs have and how they attack you and why it's almost impossible to guard them people can argue I'll take Kelsey one or Kittle one honestly it really depends on your scheme if you're the Chiefs I I think you're going to take Kelsey you know, Kittle would be a nice thing to have, but Kelsey fits that offense much better than Kittle would fit that offense. And just like with San Francisco, if you're San Francisco, you'd rather have Kittle than Kelsey because Kittle helps your run game a lot more than Kelsey mm-hmm. would. So both yeah. of these Titans are fantastic. And I think if you're going to try to say one is better than the other, I really think you're grasping at straws there. I think that the Niners totally rely on Kittle to do more things than the Chiefs do with Kelsey. And that's not a knock on Kelsey. I just think, like you said, they have so many weapons from Tyreek Hill to Sammy Watkins to uh, there's just other receivers that I can't even think of that make plays on a regular basis that 
we don't even think about. But Kelsey also helps those guys too. Regardless of how stacked they are, he draws so much attention over the middle of the field that even Mahomes takes a look at him and then takes a look to the outside and sees that his outside guy has a one-on-one. He's going to take a shot downfield. And Kelsey opened that up because of how much of a playmaker that he is. So that's a great deal for the Chiefs and a great deal for Kelsey because, you know, how much they have a connection, him and Mahomes, and how much Kelsey has done for the Chiefs to this point. He's been one of the best tight ends in the NFL for the last five years now. So it's well-deserved for Kelsey. Uh, my question for you, Matt, and I know you have the, the details for me here. And this is the third contract the Chiefs have given out that is pretty large. Uh, obviously, Mahomes signed the greatest, the largest contract in football history, the largest contract in sports history. Uh, they signed Chris Jones to a massive deal. Obviously, he is so important to their defense, and we talked about that. This guy, obviously very important to the offense as well. My question is, how the hell did they pay everybody? Smoke and mirrors. No, obviously that's not how it <laughs> happened. I mean – Let's just go through the numbers of some of the guys, all right? And I think we forget how good some of these this defensive line is right now because you brought up Chris Jones. Chris Jones will be making $16.1 million this year, which is not cheap by any stretch. Maybe a little bit of an underpay on the Chiefs, but when you're the Super Bowl, the spoils come to you. Frank Clark is making 19.3. Well, these are cap hits, so this is what's going to go against yes. the cap. And then we have Tyreek Hill at 17.7, Tyron Matthew at 16.3. I mean, Sam, Sammy Watkins, who I thought was supposed to be taking a pay cut, is make is going to account for 15.875 million on the cap. Then you take a look at Eric Fisher. I mean, I know Eric Fisher was the number one overall pick, but he's yeah. making 14.9 million, basically 15 million this year. Anthony Hitchens, who. I actually really like it inside linebacker. I think Anthony Hitchin does a really good job playing inside linebacker for that defense. And he's making 12.7 million. And then you got Travis Kelsey who comes in at 11.2 million this year, which helps. Why does all this happen? Well, I'll, I'll say Mahomes because Mahomes is 5 million, but Randy, I'm going to let you take the floor on how you can afford all this money. How? Look, there's, there's some good teams, there's some well-run teams, there's some teams that make smart decisions, and then there are teams who do this thing. And I, there's a theme with this that I've complained about it since we've had this podcast and even before this. Stop paying running backs. If you look at the running back salary on the Chiefs, what's, what, how much money are the Chiefs paying for running backs in 2020, Matt? Overall, it's less than $4 million as less an entire than $4 group. $4 million. That is incredible. And half of that is their first-round draft pick. Right, I believe he's 1.9. You said Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yeah. Um, look at all the possibilities you can do when you do not pay a running back. It is unbelievable. It is crazy how much if you don't put all your stock and all your investment into a position that does not matter as much anymore, and you can just plug and play these guys like Damian Williams, who's an undrafted uh, free free agent, and he helps you win the Super Bowl. I mean, the possibilities are endless. So, as a fan of a team that doesn't do these things and prioritizes the running back position and will end up paying a running back probably the greatest amount of money that any running back has ever seen before eventually. Um, I am so jealous of Chiefs fans and the city of Kansas City for uh, getting all this luxury because when you make smart decisions and you're good with money and you're financially stable, these are the kind of things that can happen. So good for the Chiefs. Stop paying running backs NFL. It's not that difficult. Um, one thing you should spend money on, Matt, is the defensive line, especially pass rushers. Um, and the Dallas Cowboys did that on a lot of guys that are kind of past their prime, but they're trying to makeshift this with potential talent that may not be the same anymore. They signed Everson Griffin 
um, from, you know, of the Vikings who had, had a really nice career, had 75 career sacks. He's a really good player for the Vikings for a long time, maybe a little past his prime, only had eight sacks last year. But, um, you know, Mike McCarthy said when they signed this Cowboys coach that you can't ever have enough pass rushers. And that is very much the truth. Um, I love this signing for the Cowboys because it's just a one-year, $6 million deal. Um, what do you make of the Cowboys signing some of these veteran guys like Alden Smith, Don Terry Poe, Gerald McCoy, who we'll touch on in a second, Randy Gregory, uh, Tyrone Crawford? You know, what kind of fit is Griffin for this? And do you think that he's probably the best – not the most talented, obviously. They have more talented players than him. But he's going to make an impact on this line. This one is difficult to look at because I don't, I'm not – obviously, he's not the Everson Griffin from years past with Minnesota. I, I think he's more on the back nine of his career, um, golf reference for us golfers out there. <laughs> but um, I agree with McCarthy. I think everyone agrees that you never have enough pass rushers. The more pass rushers, the better. But Dallas is just like a rubber band team on defense. They just have a lot of pieces just trying to stick together and see how it works. Obviously, what really killed the Cowboys last year was gap integrity on defense. They got mm-hmm. gashed on a lot of runs, especially with running quarterbacks. They had a hard time containing the outside edges. The secondary would get torched if the quarterback had any amount of time. Leighton Van Der Esch has to play better. But at the end of the day, Griffin helps. I just don't think it's something that I would be like, that fixes our defense. There are so many other problems. You, you lost Byron Jones. So, and there's a, there's a huge loss that we're going to discuss here in a minute. So yeah, I, I just, this doesn't move the needle for me. I, I love the signing just because it's a one year, $6 million deal. You're not giving him big money or a long-term deal. Obviously he's not the same guy, but him paired with the Marcus Lawrence, who was the guy who escaped me earlier. I think that's a nice pairing in the lines on Terry Pope not the same guy as he was, but um, I would like this team a lot more and especially the defensive line. If they still had Gerald McCoy, um, who is, we now know he is done for the year with, uh, he has torn quadriceps and I believe a torn ACL. I, I, I read an ACL earlier. Maybe that's not right. No, it's, um, but he's torn quadriceps tendon. Okay. So he signed a three year, $18 million deal with Dallas uh, after a disappointing year with Carolina last year. Um, if you added Griffin with McCoy to Demarcus Lawrence, I really like the potential of that defensive line. Maybe that helps Alden Smith develop a little more too, which he hasn't played a snap in six years or something like that. But um, you know, McCoy feels like a bigger loss than the Griffin acquisition feels as a gain, right? Yeah, the McCoy loss is so huge because he's really that interior defensive lineman that you want to get pressure on the quarterback and kind of collapse the interior of the pocket and not let the quarterback step up. Griffin can't play defensive tackle. Lawrence is not going to be able to play defensive tackle. Alden Smith is not going to be able to play defensive tackle. And let's talk about Alden Smith for a second, too. With the McCoy injury in play, you're going to put a lot more pressure on Alden Smith, who has an abundance of issues. One thing you shouldn't do is count on Alden Smith to play a full season or even half a season at that point. I just don't trust him. And then he hasn't played football in God knows how long or consistent football. So I'm taking Alden Smith out of the equation. If Gerald McCoy was healthy, this defensive line would be a lot better. But Griffin and Lawrence, they're going to be able to chip the outside edges, tight end, running backs. Their guards will be able to neutralize the inside of the interior of that Dallas Cowboy pass rush. I just – it's not enough for them 
to move the needle defensively to be a better football team. Yeah, I really would have liked the Cowboys' defensive line quite a bit if you had that pairing of McCoy uh, and Griffin in the middle there because in the comments section, many people are pointing out, like, Alden Smith has looked really good in camp and has looked like their best pass rusher. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence is their best pass rusher, and he got a big deal because of that. But Alden Smith has a lot to prove, and we haven't seen him play in real NFL games in in years, and we won't see him play until week one. So I don't know how much you can really rely on Alden Smith it's all good that he looks good in camp. We've seen that happen for so many guys over the years, but I'm I'm with you. I cannot trust that he will be as effective as they would like him to be, but I don't blame them for giving him a chance at least. Um, But the McCoy is one of the bigger uh, injury news of the week. Um, I'm just going to run down some injuries that we've seen so far during camp. Some some notable ones, 49ers wide receiver Jalen Hurd is out for 2020. So that means Brandon Ayuk probably going to start right from the beginning. I know 49ers fans are kind of excited about that. Uh, have you seen anything about Ayuk to this point? I mean, I've, I've seen Arizona State games, and Ayuk is prototypical possession wide receiver. I, I think he shows good hands. But it goes back to the rookie wide receivers. Uh, unless you are something extraordinarily special like a Julio Jones or, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, maybe even an A.J. Green, these guys take a couple of years to develop. And you never know what you really have. I'm not saying IU can't be a one. I don't think he has a skill set to be a one, but definitely a two. Maybe a one in this offense as a wide receiver, but not the number one receiving option with Kittle. Yeah. So it just varies. I I think that injury hurts more than what we may look at right now. But at the end of the day, the 49ers biggest weakness I think that we've all said is wide receiver in the draft. You know, they got Ayuk later in the first round, but they had guys like CD lamb available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I'm forgetting a couple of other names. Uh, Henry Ruggs never felt like a really good option for this offense, but yeah. maybe a guy like I'm forgetting the, Jerry Judy. I, I thought Jerry Judy would have been the pick yeah. there. I'm surprised they didn't go wide receiver considering that uh, they're putting a lot of uh, stock into Debo Samuel, um, who's fine, but I don't look at him as a number one. Um, so I'm surprised they didn't invest in that, but you know, their, their culture is very much run first and rely on Kittle a hell of a lot. So maybe their priority isn't a number one receiver um, who got a, for a guy outside like that. All right. McCoy, we touched on, he's out for 2020. Heard also out for 2020 completely. Uh, Trey Wayne's corner from the, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he's out for 2020. I didn't actually see what that injury was, but uh, another corner, Robert Alford, formerly of the Falcons, now on the Cardinals, he's out for the year. And Ravens corner, Iman Marshall. A lot of secondary players seem to be biting the bullet here early in spring training. Why do you think that is? Well, to add another one to that, the Bears cornerback that they picked up in free agency a few weeks back, already Burns, tore his ACL today. Oh, well. yes. So I did see that. I, I think it's just the lack of – I'm not sure if it's getting together or whatnot, but I it always feels like the preseason is where you see these rash of ACL injuries and that maybe it'll calm down during the season, but maybe a lot of cutting, grass, you know, field isn't great. I mean, there's so many variables to it that I just really don't know that your body is ready to go that quickly because keep in mind, no OTAs really to speak of. It was all video 
Um, so they, they really didn't get together with COVID and training camp has been kind of short. You know, they never really started on time uh, for some of these teams. So I, I just think you're asking a lot of these players' bodies to go. And I think this year we'll probably see more injuries in the first few weeks than we have in past seasons as well. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing padded practices now, so a lot of guys are kind of getting thrown into it without getting the mini camps and the and the, the reps that they would normally would get in a typical year. So this isn't the most shocking thing. You're probably going to see more and more injuries, unfortunately. Um, a couple other names, uh, Javon Hargrave and Derek Barnett of the Eagles, both week to week. Uh, <clears throat> The Jags tight end John Oliver broke his foot. He'll be out for probably six weeks. Uh, the Chiefs tight end Ricky Seals-Jones was carted off practice um, today or yesterday. And A.J. Green, our old friend A.J. Green, somehow finds himself around the injury report already. He is not questionable for week one. He tweaked his leg in practice. So um, we're seeing more of these. And I actually read Nick Chubb uh, had a concussion already uh, in padded practice. So that's not the ideal situation for the Browns. Hopefully it's mild and it's not too, nothing too serious. Um, but um, – yeah, we're not the most surprising thing, but a lot of injuries uh, on the on the forefront of the NFL news. But uh, we talked about this briefly in the past on the show. But the best story about uh, I think the best story going right now in sports uh, is the story of Alex Smith. And we talked about how him coming back and getting put on the pup list and still being able to do football activities was so inspiring. He has since been cleared off the pup list. And he is practicing. Um, I saw the video of his family celebrating the news and how happy they were for him. It's, it's a bittersweet moment. And it's also kind of like a moment where it makes you look at the way he's walking on his leg. Uh, just in that moment, in that video, I don't know if you haven't seen the video, go check it out. They're all spraying him with champagne. It looks like it's a leg that he's not familiar with. So I don't know if it's the greatest idea to, to play, but um I don't know. Did you, what did you make of the video? I, I'm at least happy for Alex Smith, if nothing else. It just confirms what I've said and what I've thought about this situation all along. <laughs> Why are you trying to play football again? It's great. Be happy that you can walk, you know, enjoy your time with your kids, you know, be able to be a sports dad and stuff like that. You'd be, he'd be an immensely talented coach in the NFL. I have no doubt he wouldn't get picked up in a heartbeat. This just seems like he's, you're just playing with fire unnecessarily. You have a life in football. It, you ha he has so many connections and so many people that love him. And he basically be Andy Reid disciple doing this at this point. I understand the love of football, but you have to know when to walk away. And this seems like, and I saw the video and you're absolutely right. It was just like a part of a body that he just got, you know, he was born without it. And then he just got it, you know, medical <laughs> surgery. Just like, okay, here's your new leg. Yeah. It this just seems like a bad idea. I know he's working with Dwayne Haskins, and if he's a mentor to Haskins, that's great. Just please never let him see the field. I, I feel like the coaching staff needs to take this over. Well, um, despite that, he has been practicing uh, in camp here. Um, I just want to point out in that video, he is wearing a leg sleeve. If you're not willing to walk around without a leg sleeve, it's just around your house after all of this. Probably not the greatest idea to play football, but um, – all right, so uh, according to reports um, by media at um, Washington football team camp, Alex Smith has looked good during multiple days of on-field workouts, um, which leads me to my question, and I know that we talked about whether he should play, which probably is not a great idea, but will he play? Um, I, my question, I have two questions for you. Will he be the starter week one? They obviously have Dwayne Haskins, who they are very high on. If he, start, if he doesn't start week one, will he play? 
And if he does, how many games? I don't think he starts week one. I, I'm going to say at most he plays four games this year. Uh, the absolute best case scenario is four games, but he's not starting week one. I have a hard time believing that despite them clearing him for football activities, he will be ready to play week one. Week one is less than four weeks from now. I don't feel like I don't really think people realize how soon that is right now. Um, I could see a situation where Dwayne Haskins gets hurt. Um, he is playing or he's, he's the backup and he's activated and he's ready to go. Um, all I know is this, and I'm going to talk about this right now. If he plays, it is the greatest comeback story in football history. As long as he doesn't get hit and his leg doesn't fall off and he can walk off the field and say that he came back and played a football game, give him the comeback player of the year award and rename the award after him because this is the greatest effort I've ever seen. Like this is asinine to even try. Um, I respect that effort so much. And it's, and it's an inspiration to a lot of people who have injuries who believe that they are devastating and they might not ever think that they can come back. Alex Smith, his perseverance to me is inspiring. So give him the comeback player of the year award. All he has to do for me is complete one game and I'm giving it to him. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that's how I feel. I don't know about one game, Randy. I think he has to do more on the field because there's going to be a lot of guys that come back this year. They're going to put up really good numbers that didn't play due to last year. I'm all for giving him a perseverance award. You know, make the new Alex Smith award. When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade (laughs) out of it. I mean, it was a gruesome injury. I don't think I've ever seen anyone come back from something like this. I mean, the closest thing I can think of and, you know, baseball reference and maybe Dong City with Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado can touch on it. But the one thought that comes to my mind is if it's Joe Theismann never came back from it, but Robin Ventura, when he slid into home and his foot was one way and his leg was going the other way, like it was the most gruesome injury I've ever seen in my entire life. But Robin Ventura was able to come back. I don't think he was ever the same player that he was. but this just seems like a whole different level. If he comes back for it and he plays four games and he plays well, then yeah, maybe you do give him the award and you do name it after him. But man, this is just such a, to me, I just think you can't do it for just a feel good Disney story. Make a Disney movie out of it. It might be too gross for Disney. I mean, it's when you look at, so like the, the thing is like, the only other reference we have of this is Joe Theismann and the parallels from Joe Theismann are uncanny with how similar these two accidents were. Um, and then you look at how he came back on that E60 where his leg, he had sepsis, his whole leg was black and he almost had to get his leg amputated. Like he was worried he was going to die. Like that is real, like as real as it gets from a football injury. Like people tear ligaments and break bones all the time. This was, this went from a football injury that ended his career to potentially taking his life. Uh, I don't think people realize how serious that is. Um, so for me, if you want to give, make a whole new world award called the Alex Smith, uh, your leg almost fell off on the field award, uh, do it. And maybe he's the only recipient ever. But to me, you know, Joe Theismann's career ended on the spot. There was no coming back for Joe Theismann when that happened. So I cannot even believe we're talking about Alex Smith playing football uh, and practicing and looking kind of good. I don't know if you saw some of the clips of him throwing. He can't move that much, but he throws the ball still uh, pretty effectively. So I'm rooting for him. 
I want him to see the field and I just, God forbid anything serious that happens to him again in the future. Cause that would really suck uh, for this whole process just to be ruined by that. But yes, uh, I just want to point out Leon in the comments said Sean Livingston guy who had a gruesome injury who came back and his was awful. Obviously he was on the Clippers uh, highly, really highly touted player too. And he had the layup and he landed wrong. And I remember just being really grossed out by that injury and he's come back and made a nice career for himself. Yeah, good well, for him. yeah well, I think James Pinos and Fami Nassar make really great points in the comment section here is w what happens when you get hit in that leg? I mean, it's, it's going to take yeah. one hit and that is going to be it. And what, what I saw from the clips, he can't move his feet that well. You know, he's still trying yeah. to get a feel for that leg. And if you can't maneuver around the pocket and remember what made Alex Smith a good quarterback, not, not a great quarterback, but a good quarterback in the NFL was his mobility and able to throw on the run. He's not going to be able to do that. He has to transition to a pocket passer. And the biggest knock on yeah. him is his arm strength was not strong enough to be a pocket passer, which is why they had to utilize read option schemes for him. That was the best part of his game. And now you're taking that away from him. I, as a defender, I would feel so much conflict in trying to hit him. So I just, I just hope this doesn't end in a very awful way. That's obviously the elephant in the room is how this is going to end if he does play and if he does get hit. Um, because you can't practice that. Um, and quarterbacks don't get hit in training camp anyway. They wear a special jersey saying, do not hit them. So uh, I think, you know, him getting hit and getting back up be something that we'll all breathe, breathe a sigh of relief when we see it, if we see it, um, and we'll go from there. But right now, I'm happy for him. I'm rooting for him. For his sake, I hope, you know, he gets to keep his leg and <laughs> keep uh, keep playing football and being an inspiration to people who love sports. So uh, I'll tell you what's not an inspiration uh, and is kind of annoying, honestly, as a Giants fan, that the report out of training camp uh, in <laughs> New Jersey at the Quest Diagnostics Training Center uh, right outside of MetLife Stadium, is that Joe Judge, the new Giants head coach, is kind of hard on his players and his coaches, for that matter. Uh, he is making his players and his coaches run laps when they make a mistake. And this comes just after a day where the report came out that all practice jerseys for spring training or just summer camp, whatever you want to call it, do not have names on the back of their jerseys. They're just numbers. This guy refuses to even call his players by their actual names. He's just calling them, hey, number eight, or hey, number 26, or hey, <laughs> number 60. Like, he's just – he probably doesn't even know who their names are. Um, so when this came out, uh, many people came out and said that this will not end well for uh, Joe Chush. Um, But Shannon Sharp being one of them, a former NFL player, obviously he's a Hall of Famer. He hosts um, – <clears throat> That show on Fox, which I, I never watched, but I know it's on there with Skip Bayless. And then former player, which spoke a lot to me, Benjamin Watson, who played for the Patriots, obviously played under Joe Judge, came out and echoed Shannon Sharp's uh, sentiments. And he said, you know, it just never does work. Be yourself. There's only one Bill Belichick. And to me, that's the first thing I thought of is this guy is trying to be something that he is not. I am all for accountability. I'm all for making people, holding people responsible. Uh, I'm all for discipline. But all of this stuff works when you have the resume of a Bill Belichick. Who are you, Joe Judge? Who do you think you are, Joe Judge? Uh, Matt, give me your just I, your thoughts on this this asinine uh, thought process for professional athletes. To me, this is you, you're going a dangerous route. 
if this is him, fine. I, I don't know if this is him. And that's what worries me if I'm a Giants fan at this point. Because when adversity strikes, that that's when you have to, you know, to steal a quote from a Bears coach who I, you know, I, I've come around on Matt Nagy quite a bit. First year, I loved him. Last year, I kind of felt that he was kind of wishy-washy. I'm, I'm coming around to him this year. I, I think he's making the right moves. But his mantra is, be you. Be who mm-hmm. you are. And right. When you walk through that door, just be you. That's what we want. Give 100% effort. But, you know, don't try to be something you're not. If this isn't Joe Judge, it's going to show up week two, week three, week four. I'm all for discipline. I'm all for accountability. My philosophy when it comes to discipline, it's handled internally. As a special teams guy, I get the theory of not having names on the back of jerseys because you're constantly pulling guys in and out. It's, you know – you you have the largest amount of people that you have to see who can play spots, but he's not a special teams coach anymore. He's a head coach. He's the head guy, you know, and you have to look at this. Like these are grown ass men. You don't treat them like children. This isn't high school football tryouts where you're just going to trot out a bunch of guys. And you know what, if you quit more jerseys for the other guys, or, you know, however that shakes out, you're not trying to weed people out here. These are grown-ass men getting paid. Running laps, fine, whatever. If you're going to keep on doing it, just keep on doing it. Don't stop at that point. You know, if that's how you instill accountability. But I just never have seen a professional coach do this. If Belichick does it, we would never hear about it. It just never happens. Right. You want to know how Belichick holds people accountable? You get your ass out the door if you don't do your job. He cuts mm-hmm. them immediately. I think that sends a stronger message. Now, I'm not saying the Giants have the roster depth to be just cutting guys left and right, but if a guy's constantly screwing up and they constantly make mistakes, get them out the door. Send the message that this is how we're not going to tolerate this. But once again, the Patriots roster was a lot different than the, than the Giants roster. You know, <laughs> the, the gaps in talent is you know like the Grand Canyon. So I yeah. just – if it's not him, if this is not genuine, if, if Joe Judge isn't going to do this 24-7, then this is just going to be bad. I, I don't see how things like this end well. I, I'm interested. I'll be glued to it. But if this is fake, all the shit that I said about this team, you know, 3-13, and 13, I said a floor was 2-14. and 14, I mean, the Lions have Patriot Boy over there, who I can't stand, Matt Patricia. The, this goes this route that that's who you start becoming the New York giants start becoming the Detroit lions. If this is, if this is what he is, if he's just fake and he's just trying to get his name out there and like, well, Bill did this. You're not bill. Like you said. So I I don't know, man. I mean, like Fami said, uh, Matt Patricia has been doing this in Detroit and it's just, it's, it's different when you're not the guy. It, it, Joe Judge has never been a head coach uh, in the NFL, let alone college. He's been uh, a disciple of Nick Saban and, and Bill Belichick underneath them, but he has never been the guy himself. Um, I am all for accountability. I'm all for doing things that hold people responsible for their mistakes. But Sterling Shepard said something that made me laugh because he said he hadn't been forced to run a, a lap as punishment since middle school. 
Uh, Sterling Shepard uh, probably has been a, a touted prospect since around that time. Um, he went to Oklahoma and he was a second, a second round draft pick. Uh, I think of running laps when I was in high school, when I messed up in high school, my coach would be like, Hammond, take a lap. Okay. Yeah. This is high school. This feels very high school to me. Uh, especially with the coaches stuff. Uh, you're going to tell Jason Garrett to go run a lap and he's just going to do it. <laughs> you're going to tell Freddie Kitchens to go run a lap. He's just going to laugh at you. Freddie Kitchens is not going to go run a lap. Uh, I, is he running the laps when he makes a mistake? Uh, that's, I, I would love to know that. Um, who's the judge if he makes a mistake? Is he just the judge? Is that why they, is he the guy? His name is judge. He is the judge on who makes a mistake and who doesn't. Um, I just think that there's flaws in this practice. And, you know, we've talked about their schedule and we've talked about their roster and the upcoming season. Once they start 0-5, um, this is going to backfire on him. They are going to say, uh, who do you think you are? You know, this, this is, you're not Bill Belichick. This is not going to be something that we're going to tolerate if you're not going to be a guy who helps us win. Uh, and it might not be fair, but at the same time, you can't just come in here and start running the operation like that with no prior success to your name. That has a lot to do with this is the success <laughs> behind it. Um, and he has none of that. Coughlin came in um, right away after Fossil got fired and implemented uh, TC time and was, you know, basically a dictator for the entire team. And, you know, even the veterans of the team, like Strahan and the young players, they're like, who is this guy? Like they rubbed them all the wrong way. You got to treat these guys like humans at the same time. Uh, they're, they're high paid athletes. They, they have egos and they're grown men. Cannot treat them like high school kids. And that's how I feel. Um, maybe it works. I'd be really shocked if it did work. Um, this is not something I am happy about as a Giants fan. And that leads me to ask you, the Giants have this is this is the third coach the Giants have had in the last four years. Each coach lasting two years previously. Uh, I feel like this is going to be a short tenure again for our coaching staff. How long has Joe Judge last in New York? I agree with you on two years, and this is why I always thought Ron Rivera would have been perfect for this team. I mean, I think Ron Rivera would have been a perfect coach for a lot of teams. When you go and you look to change the culture, I don't know why you would choose someone other than Ron Rivera because the Panthers were dog shit. They had injuries. People were just tired of playing football, but that team never quit on Ron Rivera. I mean, they stuck it out and that's a sign when you know your coach is a lame duck, but you respect him so much where you just refuse to quit. That says a lot to me about a coach and Ron Rivera as a man comes highly regarded by a lot of players. Players love him. So to see a guy that comes in that's a rookie coach, I, I just – I think this – you start losing those games because I, I, I think 0-4 is inevitable. I, I don't see a winnable game in those first four. I, I know we cite the Bears, but there's no way in hell the Bears are going to lose to this Giants roster in week two. This is not going to happen. So at that point, mm -hmm. who is Joe Judge? Who are you when you go 0-4? I think Ron Rivera can galvanize a team because he's gone 0-3, 0-4 before. He's had those losing streaks, and he's able to pull the team together. And I think this is where rookie head coaches struggle, is how do you handle adversity? Because you are the guy. You're the guy that has to step up to that podium. That's why I think Matt Nagy had such a hard time last year because 2018, everything went great. Like the best possible scenarios. And he had Vic Fangio running that defense. It hit a lot of issues with that offense and Mitch Trubisky. Then last year happened, you know, 
publicly they didn't always point fingers, but you could tell there were some issues under the under that veil. So now you hope Matt Nagy grew from that because Andy Reid's not there to protect them anymore. So now Joe Judge doesn't have Bill Belichick to protect them anymore. How is he going to handle that? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like Coughlin really struggled out of the gate, and a lot of the guys really resented him for it. But to his credit, he changed how he did things and earned the respect of his players eventually, which obviously led to a 10-year t- uh, career with the Giants. And Giants fans will always love him for the two Super Bowls. So if this does not work out for Joe Judge in the beginning, which is what we expect, our friend Vince Mercandetti in the comments uh, obviously expects something different because he asks what happens if the Giants don't start 0-5? Do we just explode? I would probably explode explode in just utter shock. But <laughs> if they don't start 0-5, great. And this works perfect. And the Giants have a guy who I can buy into and the Giants fans can be happy about. And maybe, you know, he is the guy. And this criticism will be – cold taked and I'll be happy to be cold taked because at the end of the day, I am a Giants fan and I want them to be great. Um, I just have a hard time envisioning that happening. So if this doesn't work and if it's, they start poorly and this is a poor season, maybe you need to reevaluate things and don't be afraid to change. Coaches so often are so afraid to do that. They are so stuck in their ways. They have a system, they have a way of leadership. You know, a big part of leadership is adapting and changing. And, you know, not everything is set in stone all the time. The world changes all the time. You have to adapt to it. So I'm worried about this with Joe Judge. Uh, if he adapts to it, great. If he is the second coming of Bill Belichick, let's do this then, man. I'm, I'm jacked up if that's the case. But I don't well, think you're going to see the, the fruits of your labor right away on that. Well, well, and everything that we just said. I mean, remember, Bill Belichick had to adapt as well. I mean, one of his biggest traits is – that he changes his offense depending on the players that he has. So he's not exactly stuck in his way unless it comes to camcorders and he'll always be recording people. So, you know, he always has that trick up his sleeve. I feel like we, that is a shot that you take once a week on Bill Belichick. Uh, and Vince says, right, your entire argument is not about discipline. It's about winning. Well, this whole practice does not work unless you win. And they kind of go hand in hand here. Um, and the whole reason this is a story is that this unproven coach is out here making these guys and these grown men run laps for making mistakes as if he is someone who has never made a mistake or done anything in the league. So my whole point is who are you to be doing these things is really my complaint. Um, so uh, yeah, that came out today and I kind of got, kind of got triggered and had some feelings about it um, for the Giants sake and for Vince's sake. Geez, I really hope it works out in the Giants favor, but I'm skeptical. Um, but, Matt, this is the uh, main event of the evening, which is when we talk about hard knocks. And, you know, thank God for, for the show that talks strictly about football because I don't know about you. We had four months without sports. You know, sports are back. I'm watching the Yankee game right now. But I'm so happy to have sports back. But I'm also to see football teams operating and football teams preparing for a season because, obviously, we do a football show and all off season we're talking about. Was, was there going to be a season? It's probably not going to happen. It's not smart for this to happen. It's not even smart for them to try to do this. Um, my first takeaway from this episode, Matt, and you know, we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff in this recap, is that right away my first thought is the NFL has their shit together. Both of these teams in this episode went through extensive testing and social distancing protocols, and they are handling this pandemic way better than I could have thought coming into this. Um, you know, In the first five minutes or so, you see these guys showing up and wearing masks and getting tested and doing all the right things. Uh, I know that you were impressed by that as well. Give me your thoughts on how the NFL is handling the pandemic so far. Yeah, it really was kind of like a pleasant surprise because you go in there and you see them and it's actually a pretty well-run operation. They're not – it feels like they 
they took this serious you know after three months of kind of wishy-washy we weren't sure what direction they were going to take um i still wish they would tweak the opt-outs a little bit i know if a family member's that way but i, I really think there has to be some more allowance a little bit more wiggle room um we saw some dolphin players test positive i, I believe they actually cut a guy because he lied to them about his interaction with someone that had COVID-19. So I, I'm, I'm glad that when you see the sterilization aspect of it and how they set this up, you know, the Rams are going outdoors, the Chargers have their indoor meeting room, and it's like one seat per table, and you have all these tables spread out. The, the one thing I thought was kind of ironic was when Sean McVay was trying on the masks, he was like, oh, you know, I'll just use the face guard. And then you see him up there speaking and there's no face guard. And then he's <laughs> like, you know, I got to do a better job. I got to hold myself accountable. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But overall, man, I, I'm really pleasantly surprised to how serious the NFL took this. Yeah, I – and I think you felt the same way. You kind of get the sense that they – we're kind of hoping this would just be over with by the time the season started. And it was very much uh, uh, a negligence. And basically like based on what you saw with how baseball went through this and with how the NBA is doing a bubble and how hockey is doing a bubble, like they all took this seriously and it took baseball forever to get this stuff figured out. Um, the NFL by all means had the easiest path to figure this out. They had, didn't have a season ongoing. They didn't have a season that was coming up soon. They did an all-virtual draft, which was a huge success ratings-wise. Um, I was skeptical on how seriously they were taking this. So as far as a guideline and protocol aspect of the, their players and their facilities and how they're running tra training camp, I'm very impressed. And I got to say, when you're a coach or when you're a former player or you're whatever, and you watch Hard Knocks, it's tiring. Like being a coach is a tiring job. It's a tireless job. It's never-ending. You don't – it's always like, yeah, these guys are so overpaid, but they put in work all the time. They don't sleep. They're psychopaths. This, to me, felt exhausting. There are so many things that, that aren't even football-related that they have to worry about on a regular basis. And Anthony Lynn and Sean McVay, to their credit, seem to be all in and have their players buy all in on doing everything that they can to prevent an outbreak from preventing themselves from getting this virus. Uh, and it, I got the best word I told you in a text chat, uh, the best word I have for it, it is exhausting to watch. And I know how much it is, how much hard work it takes to be a head coach in the NFL. This feels like it is a massive load to carry on top of what they already need to do. And it feels like it's a necessity at this point. Like it's, it's a responsibility. You have to do this, but I, when you sent me that and I watched the episode, I felt that too. Like that word so accurately describes this situation <laughs> Having to get the no the nose swap in the morning, the temperature, having to check in, you know, <laughs> it was funny. I and I, I hate to go this route sometimes, but I just have to do it. Justin Herbert is like the whitest white guy <laughs> I've ever seen in football. Well, hello, yes, I am Justin Herbert. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, oh Jesus, Justin, have a little personality, my man. But. Yeah. You just see all the protocols that they go through just getting in the building. I mean, it is, mm -hmm. it is no small task, and I am happy to see it. And I just want to address something in the comments. And, you know, Ryan Shiner's talking about teams allowing fans into the stadium. The, that, 
I, I look at that situation and one, if, if you're an open door stadium, open air stadium, I just think it's something that you just, it, it is what it is. You know, I went golfing on Sunday, open air. I was around a couple of buddies, you know, and it just is, is what it is. You know, the transmission decreases in open air. Having 15,000 people in the stands at Arrowhead, yeah, I don't think it's a great idea. Whose call is that? Is it the team's call or is it the NFL's call? Could the NFL say, hey, you know, you're not going to have any fans? But guess who runs the NFL? The owners. So, you know, it, it really, it, you're letting the public decide. Yeah, what was the total number of fans? I think it was 22% of the total capacity of the stadium. Um yeah, I, I'm with you, and, like, they probably should follow city ordinances and the, the, the protocols that the city has in place. Um, and maybe people don't uh, – won't go. Maybe people will respect that and just say, I'm not going to bother even going. They can spread that many people. Like, if you have 20% of the stadium, you can spread those people out. Still not the greatest idea to me, but um, we'll see what happens. Maybe they get rejected. Maybe they're not even allowed to do that. I don't know how that works. Um, maybe the NFL comes in and says, well, if some teams can't have fans. Maybe everyone shouldn't have fans. And that's kind of what baseball said too. Uh, maybe a decision's coming on that. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, but to get things back on track here on hard knocks, uh, the very beginning of the episode. Um, and I think this is why the chargers have done such a good job or yeah, the chargers have done such a good job with this, uh, right off the bat in a zoom call, Anthony Lynn's talking about how serious this is and how, um, this is a year unlike any other. And then he comes out and says he had the coronavirus. And this wasn't a John Gruden situation that he legit was diagnosed with it. He's okay. But his team was obviously taken aback by it. They did not expect that uh, announcement to come from Anthony Lynn. And he said, you know, this is very serious. We need to make sure that we are doing our due diligence. And the team that ha- – I love what he said here. And he said the team that handles this the best will have the best chance of winning that trophy. And that is so true. And I think that – my takeaway, one of my main takeaways from this is the, the teams who don't handle this well, you'll know right away. It will be a Marlins situation. It'll be a Cardinal situation in baseball. You will be able to find out very quickly the teams who took this more seriously than others. And I hope that other teams maybe saw what the Rams and the Chargers are doing if they're not taking it as seriously as these two teams, that they guess are getting their acting gear, acting gear here. Um, but – I don't know. I'm not overly shocked when I find out someone has it, but I love that the team reacted the way they did to Anthony Lynn saying that he had it. Um, you know, what did you think of them starting off the show that way? That was an important moment. And I, I think it was a eye-opening moment, but it really set the tone for the show. It was like, and I love when Anthony Lynn said, we have two game plans that we have to do every week now, one for COVID, mm-hmm. one for our opposing team. But everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone has to do the same game plans. And exactly to what you said, whoever handles this best, you know, it's adversity. This is what these people that are getting paid lots of money to do. So I'm, we'll see how it happens. I I really do believe the team that's most well organized will handle this the best. And, you know, I'll be damned, but this just seems like if Bill Belichick still had Gronk and Brady, this would go right Mm -hmm. up his alley, man. This would just be Mm -hmm. right down the middle, a grooved fastball to Bill Belichick. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I like the Chiefs in this situation. I I like a lot of situations, a lot of coaching staffs that will be able to handle this. So we'll see. Yeah, 
I mean, it's really – it's a lot on the players. The players have to be disciplined. The players can't do the things that they typically do. And we saw this in Seattle where a player tried to sneak in a girl to their little bubble situation and immediately got kicked off the team. I think it was a rookie, a high, a high draft pick too. Um, the players have to be responsible here uh, for this to work. If the players want to play football, the coaches want to coach football, everyone, want to watch, everyone wants to watch football, then it's time to get going here. And I think that the NFL – uh, at least the coaching staff and, and on the players on each of the Rams and the Chargers are doing just that. So the episode, obviously, heavy focusing on the pandemic, uh, but we did get some football stuff. We did get some players, personalities busted out here. Um, I'll start off with, uh, I believe his name was Dante Dion, who is a French corner who is kind of there, who has been sent to the practice squad quite a bit. You, you first get introduced to him and he's yelling at Aaron Donald and he's like, hey, AD. Hey, AD, go. And Aaron Donald's just ignoring him. Like, he's just like a, a rat trying to get his attention. He's just annoyed with him. And then you get into the locker room, and you find one Dante Dion. He's complaining that his locker room <laughs> or his locker setup is farther away than everyone else's, almost like they expect him to be gone. <laughs> That's how I took that. Um, but I love this little aspect of hard knocks where you kind of have this annoying guy who is a French player, not a guaranteed guy to make a roster spot, but is familiar enough with the rest of the team that they all kind of find him just a little annoying. <laughs> what did you make of Dante Dion's uh, appearance in the first episode? You know, I loved it because it just – he's a guy – and I think every team needs a, a guy or two like this. Ho- hopefully, you know, it's just antics and it's not anything off the field where it becomes stupid, like inviting a girl into his hotel room dressed as a team staffer. Yeah. But, you know, it mm-hmm. – he brings a certain levity and I love this on shows where it's just a goofball, man. And having those guys on your team really just kind of takes away the pressure. You know, one of my favorite moments of the show was actually at the end, kind of when they're rolling credits and someone took a, a dump in the porta potty <laughs> and Aaron Donald's, you know, accusing the hard knocks crew. Like it had to be one of you guys. Cause you're not allowed to go in the building and take a dump. That was pretty funny. I yeah. love that. Well, that was a great ending. Uh, and McVeigh says, don't be the guy that takes the shit in the porta potties. I went in there and almost threw up. I have a little bit more social awareness. Uh, it's a great, great ending for the show. Uh, and it's, it's a lesson that we all can learn. But, you know, when nature calls, sometimes you can't really control things. But that's enough of the, uh, <laughs> the talk on that uh, in this episode. Um, one of the things I found really uh, interesting was Jalen Ramsey, the star corner for the Rams. He had an interview with Zoom reporters and they kept asking him the same question about his contract and his agent and the team. And he answered it. And when they kept asking him to try to get him to say something else, he eventually snapped and he said, when I give you guys an answer, that's the answer. I don't appreciate you guys telling me and trying to push me into a different answer because it's not what you wanted to hear. I think that's a big criticism of media in general in 2020. Um, but I loved the behind the scenes aspect where he has the camera set up in front of the wall with the, the Rams logo and everything. And he just gets up and then he leaves. And then the media people have to go get him and get him to come back and finish the interview. And then he's just ripping these reporters into asshole. Uh, I love that aspect of Jalen Ramsey. And, you know, these reporters got to be held accountable too. ask better questions. Yeah, it's amazing how when they push people, they think that they're just supposed to take it. Like, you know, what do you want me to do? You, I Exactly. I felt Jalen Ramsey's frustration in that moment. It's like, mm-hmm. I done told you. Well, what else do I need to tell you about this situation? I don't know. I'm letting my agent take care of it. And this is what, isn't this what we criticize players of all the time is mm-hmm. getting involved in contract situations and yeah. not letting your agent and the general manager handle it? Like, the, uh-huh. the if he was getting involved in this stuff, the media would be ripping him to shreds. 
And yeah. exactly like you said, it's the biggest criticism of the media. And I don't know what they expected out of that reaction from him, but I was happy that he walked off. I would have walked off and dropped a couple F-bombs at them. <laughs> and, I mean, he plays a position where he's isolated. It's very much the receiver position for defense where he's going to run his mouth. You're facing off one-on-one against someone. You're talking a lot. He has that kind of personality anyway. You're talking to the wrong guy like that. And I, I mean, the reporters probably should have realized who they were talking to before they even started that interview. Uh, so I love that aspect of it. I love seeing the behind the scenes parts of these um, virtual interviews like this. Um, another aspect, and I mean, we're going to get into more of these football situations as we go, hopefully. Um, but they talked to Tyrod Taylor a little bit and Justin Herbert a little bit. And there's a quarterback competition here, and it's eerily similar to the Cleveland Browns situation a couple years ago. Um, but, you know, I love Taylor's attitude towards it. Um, I love that he's just taking it in stride and playing it, and he's just going to say – he just goes with it. He's just doing his job and working hard, and he's not worried about the guy behind him, and he's helping him. And I think that's so professional of Tyrod Taylor to do all these years when you've been a guy who has started some areas. You've had a good, a decent run at Buffalo, started for a few games in Cleveland, and eventually got benched. Largely been a backup your whole career. Love that kind of attitude. It's a true professional in Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, and the thing I saw, too, throughout the episode, man, Justin Herbert throws a pretty ball. I hate to say it, mm-hmm. but, I mean, with no pressure in his face, that's a damn pretty ball that that guy throws. And you could tell mm-hmm. the receivers and even the running backs were like, man, that, that pass is sweet. And you see stuff like that. Now I'm interested. Now I'm interested in Justin Herbert. I still don't think he should start week one. But when we start taking a look at the Chargers and we talk about what they have – they have a really good defense. So where does that put them? Offensively, they need to step it up. We saw their running game mm-hmm. with Justin Jackson. Yeah, kind of, you know, Melvin Gordon came Austin back. Eckler. Yeah, you know, a lot of those guys. So now we take a look at the wide receivers. And shout out to our guy, Jared Westfall, who his cousin, Jalen Guyton, with the Chargers wide receivers, you know, he – Absolutely. Member of Football Life, Jared, congratulations to your cousin who's now running with the ones. This is his opportunity. You know, he was undrafted last year, played a couple of games, um, actually had a preseason game against um, the Texans when he played with the Cowboys, actually ran for a 65-yard touchdown. The dude has speed, Randy. At the Combine, he ran a 4-3-7-40. The Chargers have guys that, you know, Keenan Allen's not the fastest guy on the field. You know, he can get separation. That's his thing, separation, you know, because he should be a top five player in the NFL players, top 100. But, mm-hmm. you know, we take a look at some other guys. Um, but <laughs> this is his chance to separate himself in the slot, split out wide, take advantage of the opportunities. So, you know, I, I like seeing the Chargers go with young guys offensively. Maybe Tyrod Taylor starts a game or two, but now I want to see Justin Herbert. I want to see that deep ball. I want to see him make those decisions to this wide receiver group because it might be fun. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to Jared one more time, a uh, member of Football Life and his cousin and having success with the Chargers. Uh, you know, maybe we'd love to have you on. Maybe you'd love to have your cousin on the show and uh, talk to him about his experience with all this. And uh, I'm sure he'll be having a segment on Hard Knocks in the near future. Uh, especially if you're getting reps with the ones. Uh, one more note on Herbert. Um, when he was throwing, he was getting, uh, you know, his teammates were admiring his ability to throw the football. And <laughs> one of the running backs on the field, I believe it was Darius Bradwell, said, uh, I love his balls, man. <laughs> and then <laughs> replying and to this, um, 
I, I don't know who said it back, but he said, you said you love his balls. And it was just one of the funnier interactions between the two of them. Uh, things you that like totally happen all the time on football fields, but like you got those mics that catch those things from so far away. Uh, I thought that was really hilarious <laughs> actually when, because you could have just said, I love the way he throws the football, but no, he just, I love his balls <laughs> out of context is uh, pretty awesome. You know, that gets said a lot more than what people may think. I mean, that's not uncommon. It's like, man, I love the way he throws the ball. And then, like, oh, man, his ball is great. So, I mean, going plural with it, maybe not the best idea. Right. Uh, You're asking for criticism on that or at least asking for a ribbing there. Uh, But one of the things that you know you wanted to talk about was the tight end situation. Andrew Voller said, you know, that he he was upset that he got cut essentially um but I I think the criticism from Lynn was that he didn't work as hard uh as he could have and he was too emotional and he was very upset obviously for getting cut and when he went to when Lynn went to go talk to the Chargers GM he kind of liked the emotion but um what do you make of that whole situation I thought that was kind of weird Actually, I, I kind of liked it. I took a little different approach. I think um, Lynn told them it was just a numbers game, you know, and they had a lot of tight ends. They didn't have a lot of other positions depth-wise, so it became a numbers game for him, and he was the guy that had to go. But, man, I, I respect the player that goes in there because I think we see a lot of players just kind of take it. And you hear a lot mm-hmm. of coaches, a lot of people go, you know, what, what really turns your head about a player? You know, I can't remember – yeah, what movie was it? It might have been Major League with Rick Vaughn when he goes into the locker room and tells off the manager, like, I'm going to okay. beat your ass every time I play you guys. <laughs> so, so, you know, and Valer may have, may have done himself a, the biggest favor in the entire in his entire career. Yeah, get pissed off. Show a little fire. Show some emotion. Shit, man, this is your livelihood. This is your chance, and you better take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Hard Knocks is such a is a show that truly shows you the emotion that goes into players trying to make teams and the, them getting cut uh, and how much like, you know, you're fighting for something that you've dreamed about your whole life and something that's so hard. And you've, you've, you you put in so many hours that when you realize that this team doesn't want you or doesn't have a roster spot for you, uh, it, I totally ex- expect to be emotional. I would feel a certain type of way about that, but I would also probably use that as motivation to try to make the team or make another team or get picked up somewhere. This guy, I agree with you though. He, he made uh, a moment for himself that another team might respect and might pick him up in the, in the event that he doesn't end up uh, being on the Chargers roster later. Yeah. I don't think they cut him. Uh, I think they kept him. Okay. Uh, I think they had him uh, as he was an early camp cut, but um, maybe, maybe I misread that. But yeah. I think he was a camp cut. Um, but he could make the practice squad. He could, I mean, he could clear waivers and still end up on the team. But, you know, he made a nice little moment for himself going forward that, you know, a team might take a chance on that. And maybe they like that kind of fire. Um, I, I want to wrap up this Hard Knocks recap with talking about guys taking their shirts off um, and, and where it's warranted or not. Uh, the very beginning of the episode, we are in Sean McVay's house, which looks like the, one of the coolest freaking houses you'll ever see in your life. Uh, looks like it's Beverly Hills. Um, and his wife, his fiance, who is probably going to get a lot of airtime for obvious reasons. Um, Sean McVay very quickly, you know, grabs a bottle of wine, runs outside with his dog, takes his shirt off, jumps in the pool. How, how was that the first thing Sean McVay said to his, the producers of Hard Knocks said, 
all right, five minutes into the show, guys, I want to be shirtless in my pool. Like, did you get that sense? Because I felt like he was way too eager for that. I definitely felt like he pushed it. I mean, <laughs> no coach would be that comfortable. We just do it on the spur of a moment type of deal like that. And, I, I mean, McVay's ripped, dude. I'm, I'm not going to lie. The dude is – I mean, if, if I don't want to see Andy Reid with his shirt off. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, if <sighs> – whatever works for you. You know, if, if that's Sean McVay, let it be Sean McVay. Kind of like we talked about Joe Judge. Just be who you are. And you know yeah. what? I, I've actually liked the interaction with Sean McVay between the players. You know, I, I find him more entertaining. I probably would prefer to play for Anthony Lynn more than I would yeah. prefer to play for Sean McVay because I think Anthony Lynn's more of like a guy. You know, he's a dude. Yeah. Where uh-huh. McVay just comes off as, you know, sunny California guy. and yeah. I don't know. That's just the impression I get. But I'd rather play for Anthony Lynn. I think they're both very good coaches. So I don't know who I'd rather play for. But McVay, to me, totally was like, oh, I used to play college football. I want to try to show off my bod. Uh, and they tried to turn his dog into Airbud, which kind of saw, seemed like a failure because the dog was just biting at the ball and didn't actually make the ball into the hoop. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought that was kind of weird where he totally had something to do with that. The other shirtless thing, which I think is appropriate uh, and I was kind of looking forward to, but Aaron Donald um is built like a freaking brick shit house uh and it just goes to show how terrifying he must be facing up against like he is built like a boulder like he's not even tall or lean or anything he is just thick and it's all muscle and he is obviously a presence and i can't wait to see some some moves of his later in, in the shows coming up here yeah it is impressive with to be that big that quick and that fast like that's the thing what makes him so dominant is those three things first step quickness strength and the ability to run fast i mean that's why he's so damn unblockable i mean you don't see guys with all three of those traits like one of my favorite defensive linemen akeem hicks akeem hicks is a big boy and he's strong he's got first step quickness but he ain't fast You know, Akeem Hicks yeah. is like the epitome of a Chicago, of a bear. Um, you know, Chris Jones, very much the same thing. I, I don't think Chris Jones is has that first step quickness, but he's quick and he's fast and he's strong, but he's not like Aaron Donald-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, after that, it's just like you can see, man, Aaron, Aaron Donald is probably the best defensive player in the NFL. So I was interested to see that, but man, I'm just ready to see them pad up on the next episode and actually watch some football being played. Yeah. You saw some limitations like Goffney not being, not throwing the ball. They're just kind of going through the motions and the walkthroughs. Um, the episode two, which is tonight on HBO, check that out. Um, you know, I'm literally looking forward to seeing some pads. Like you said, I want to see these guys hit. I want to see Aaron Donald in action. I want to see Joey Bosa in action, who we got a little bit of in the first episode. I want to get more Joey Bosa and a lot of those Chargers defensive players. Um, I want to see some Jared Goff. I want to see his connection with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And, you know, I, I get the sense that Jared Goff's just kind of this cool California guy. Him and McVay are both just like, you know, surf's up, dude. You know, they're just like these California kids who terrify me, who I'll never relate to in my entire life. But like, these two California guys who are just almost too cool for football. So I want to see them, those guys work hard and see their relationship develop a little bit. Uh, I love the behind the scenes stuff. I love going to Lynn's house on the barbecue, hearing him talk about barbecue and smoking and stuff. And I love that. Um, I want more of that. And 
you know, I hope both these teams have success where they don't have positive cases. In the episode, we only saw one player get a positive case, and then he quarantined and he did the right thing, and, you know, and that was it. There was no outbreak. They did. They handled it well. So I want to see that, that more tonight. Um, you know, anything in particular you're looking forward to before episode two? Yeah, I actually want to see Jared Goff more run. You know, I'm curious to see how they run their offense. You know, if Jared Goff, if they run it where he gets to play as the defense lines up, you know, is is that going to be one of those things? And then, I, I like I alluded to it, man, I, I want to see this Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert quarterback competition. I, I really think that could steal this mm-hmm. show because Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, the, the running – you know, I, I give it to Tyrod Taylor. I just the, – the, the, there's a lot of pieces here. And I think both of them have similar skill sets and a little bit different skill sets. But, man, I, I, I want to see the Chargers. I'm kind of interested in this team. Yeah, I'm super excited to check out what they do. I love that they're doing the two-team aspect because of the limitations for football in general. I love that there's a dynamic between the two teams and it's different. I'm really looking forward for tonight's episode, and I'm just, I am just want to say I'm grateful for Hard Knocks for giving us content, stuff to talk about for the next month leading up to the season. Uh, it's going to be different. There's no preseason games. Um, last year, that was a big storyline for the Raiders. Yeah, by the way, the other thing that they showed was Joey Bosa getting that big contract extension, which, yes. I, you know, it, it, it kind of touches you in that place of, you know, it, I, I don't want to come off as like, you know, only male dominant here, but like the bond between a son and a father, you know, that was the first thing that he thought mm-hmm. about was his dad. And it really felt like a special moment, something really touching. So, and help Bosa deserves it. I don't think, I wanted to ask you this before I forget, is there a better brother duo in the history of the NFL than the Bosa's at this point? Because both of these kids might be hall of famers. Well, I think the first thing I think of is the Watts, um, especially because they're similar defensively. Like, J.J. and T.J. Uh, are both really good. I mean, J.J.'s past his prime a little bit, but these guys are going to be playing at the highest level at the same time, which is unique. Um, Eli and Peyton Manning, uh, obviously, are both brothers. who are both going to make the Hall of Fame. Um, Eli was never as good of his, as, as his brother, so I think that the argument here is that these guys are both top five at their positions uh, and share a name and come from the same family, and that's the unique part of it. Um, so I think you're right. I don't know if JJ and TJ, uh, JJ, obviously three-time defense player of the year, first ballot hall of famer. I don't know if we'll get that out of TJ, but TJ is still a damn good pass rusher. Bosa is in their own right, a lead, both of them. So it's an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, you know, I, I, my affinity of love towards defensive linemen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love the family aspect of that too. Cause anytime I have any sort of success, I tend to think about my, my mother and my family and everything they've done for me as well. So I appreciate that from Joey uh, hearing that from him. Um, but yeah, thanks to HBO for giving us hard knocks for the next few weeks. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they have in store for us tonight. And we'll break that down next week on the show uh, along with all the other news. And uh, if, if the audience and if, if you remember a football life and you're interested in a fantasy episode, we'd love to hear from you on that. Um, we, I would love to do a fantasy football episode with you or whoever's interested. And if you're interested in maybe doing a league, uh, we want to kind of read the room here and check the temperature and see if you guys are interested in doing a fantasy football league itself for football life. Um, maybe we could do one that's unpaid, one that is paid. Uh, based on how many people are interested, we'll make those decisions then, but I'd love to do a fantasy type show. I know I've been doing mock drafts like crazy on Mondays and, it's the year it's the time of the year for that and it's 
despite the world we're living in now, it's nice to do some mock drafts and prepare for a fantasy football season. Have you been doing anything like that so far, Matt? Well, you know, I like to watch me some tape. I like to take a look at opportunities. I have done some mock drafts. I, I think for me, I just – I, I took a year off fantasy football last year because I just wanted that breather. I wanted to bask in the greatness of my fantasy football trophies that I don't have hanging up on my walls. <laughs> well, I have one of my fair share of leagues, but I, my batteries are recharged, Randy. I want to do a league. I'm preparing for it. I'm prepping. Yeah. I got my running backs listed out that you hate. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> Hey, fantasy running backs in fantasy are the opposite. They matter more than anything in, in fantasy. So uh, I would love to do maybe a live mock draft in the group and have guys kind of watch and pick our brains for our thought processes and stuff like that. So we'll come up with a plan to do some fantasy related things as well. Um, but stick around in these groups tomorrow. Uh, I'm not sure about the status of the lab, but, you know, over in food life, you know, stick around, you know, you have Johnny and you have Matt Whalen doing some cooking stuff over there from time to time. Uh, and, you know, over in Ball is Life uh, at 8 o'clock, uh, we got our guys Jacob and Leon. The NBA playoffs are here. And, you know, there's some, been some great games already. Had a big upset today. I've been loving watching basketball in the middle of the day. This is great. I mean, we went from, from no sports to sports on all the time. I, I love this setup, and I can't wait to hear those guys break down. I hopped on the show last week, Matt. I don't know if you saw it. If you haven't got the chance to check it out, go, uh, go check out my – breakdown of the Western Conference situation and how my Lakers can do. I'm uh, hoping they make a run. Um, you know, do it for Kobe. So uh, have you seen some of the uh, NBA action in the playoffs so far? I've watched some aspects of it. I watched the Mavericks and Clippers last night. Thoroughly enjoyable. I kind of – Luka Doncic is probably one of my favorite NBA players. But then I also have Kawhi Leonard, um, who I just love watching play defense. Uh, Kawhi is a guy after my own heart. He's just a lockdown defender. I know he'll never get the LeBron James um, spotlight. And, you know, honestly, LeBron's a league onto his own. But I, I love watching Kawhi. So th those are two teams I'm keeping a close eye on. And the Celtics, I love Jason Tatum. And one thing that I am keeping track of is the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets, we have two members, Leon Tompkins and his Brooklyn Nets going against those Raptors. And uh, not looking very good for Leon. It's kind of a theme this year. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Duke going to have uh, bragging rights at the end. But I don't think Leon had high expectations going into that. So uh, there's a bright future for the Nets and Leon over there in Brooklyn, that's for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. And then we also have the return of our Total Basis podcast, our fantasy baseball yeah. counterparts with Felipe and Sean. I'm not sure what time they go on. It's either Fridays or the weekend, but always a good watch if you're into fantasy sports, especially baseball. Yeah, and those guys really do a great job of breaking down numbers and, you know, having interesting perspectives. on, And they make really great decisions, obviously, as well. I'm not as big in fantasy baseball, but, you know, those guys really do know their stuff and they're a great pair. A great watch, truly. Um, but yeah, my Lakers are on here at nine o'clock for about 45 minutes. I'm excited to hear Jacob and Leon talk about that tomorrow in the step back at eight o'clock in baller's life. Uh, but it's time for us to say goodbye, Matt. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, we had Jake Schwartz booked again today to make an appearance, but you know, with time constraints, we just couldn't have him on. Yeah, it's sad. Um, maybe another day. I mean, Tom Brady doesn't get talked about enough, so it's really sad. Um, you know, maybe he'll get his day in the spotlight eventually. But until then, uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell here on The Audible, I'm Randy Hammond wishing you uh, well in the health world, and I hope you guys are staying safe. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.